Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to the Daily Evolver. You can find all my stuff at dailyevolver.com, YouTube, Twitter, and uh, thank you so much, as always, to Integral Life for hosting me live here these many, many years. It's good to be back. So, you know, if you're new to the Daily Evolver, and I know we get new people all the time, what we're doing here is we're looking at life, things, current events particularly, through the lens of integral theory, which posits that human consciousness and culture are evolving. And that evolution is that miraculous process that seems to be built into the cosmos, which is this miracle of the creation of something out of nothing, starting with the Big Bang, which we could pause there if we wanted to. Uh, but it's since then an ever continuing creation of more out of less, of something out of nothing, of bringing novelty into the cosmos and resulting in us in this moment. And another insight of integral theory is that evolution is beautiful, but not pretty. So today I wanted to talk about the evolution of consciousness in our culture. Uh, the consciousness raising, if you will, that is going on in the world, I think, certainly the United States, around race. And I want to focus on an essay that I found online from a source I had never heard of, but I'm going to check into further. I think there's a really, really great essay here. And it's from Clearer Thinking, C-L-E-A-R-E-R thinking.org. And the title of the essay is Understanding the Divide Between Social Justice Advocates and the Left-Leaning Anti-Woke Community. It's written by Holly Muir, Spencer Greenberg. And as they write in the intro, we have been investigating the perspectives of two groups in contemporary US society, one, those who advocate for social justice, and two, the newly emerging, and I always love that, the newly emerging left of center anti-woke movement, as they say, i.e. liberal leaning people who tend to oppose identity politics, cancel culture, and critical race theory. And I find that this is this essay is an example of the movement of culture into integral thinking, first of all. And there's two ways of looking at integral. One is the integral movement, which is you know, the Institute for Cultural Evolution, Steve McIntosh's group. There's many groups, metamodernism. Of course, Ken Wilber in the Integral Institute, very much uh, the giant that many of us stand on, shoulders. <laughs> and that, um, you know, this process of consciousness raising and evolution is where things go from an undifferentiated state to a differentiated state. So in, 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 a, in, a, in one way of looking at it politically is that, and we can see this if we've lived long enough, the left has gone from this, you know, the left, the, the, the blob of the left, the political left, the people who hated Reagan, the people who liked Bill Clinton well enough, 
They're pretty predictable in terms of their politics, anti-war, pro-egalitarian, anti-corporate, you know, and that held the sort of uh, transgressive in terms of the culture. And that emerged. The left emerged actually in the 50s, post-World War II, 50s and 60s. And now it's like it's becoming more complex. It's like turning the resolution of a Google map. That is a great way of looking at evolution. And we see what we thought was one thing turns out to be many things. And as we see the left, we see some of us are living in the mountains and some of us are living in the valley and some of us are in the city and some of us are out in the sticks. And maybe we don't have as much in common as we thought. And so it is, the amoeba divides, welcome to evolution. And we have this arise, not only the, the, the left, but now this woke left or this cutting edge, these stages of development don't just, one doesn't evolve out of the other, they continue to evolve. There's a horizontal evolution and that's what's happening here. So that the left actually is differentiating into two bigger identities. And that's what they talk about here. Um, so this is the engine of evolution. And one of the ways I think about it is that we differentiate and God integrates. So our job as integralists and conscious evolutionaries is to see how our political opponents, to see what they think, to you know, walk a mile in their shoes, and to, it, it's like the other night I was on a, um, a, a conference call. It was a, a conference actually with, they had a thousand people signed up. It's a Br Brazil Integral and uh, founded by Marcelo Cardoza 10 years ago and a really vibrant organization down there. And um, I was, I followed Ken Wilber. Ken Wilber did the opening talk. And he was great. He, he, one of the things he talked about, and, um, and I, I, he's talked about this before, and I love it, is about the coming integral age and how we could see, particularly in the developed world, that there's maybe five or 7% of people who would test out an integral consciousness. And um, that when that number gets to be 10% and more, historically speaking, when that happens with a new stage of development, that they become the vanguard of the culture. And so maybe that'll happen in my lifetime. I don't know. I do think it's probably historically inevitable. And Ken talked about, you know, what are these engines of evolution? What, do, what can we do? And, 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 and he said that the question of the integral age will be, and I love this, how can I include as many other worldviews as possible in my worldview? And he talked about the various ways that the aqua map uh, really create these world spaces that we can inhabit. And that when we inhabit them, as he put it, people will realize that they're 10 times smarter than they think. <laughs> and I love that. And I think we could also say that we will be 10 times more sensitive. What did he say? He said 12 times. Did I say that right? Anyway, 12 times smarter than they think. And I think we could say that we would be 12 times more sensitive, 12 times more loving, 12 times more curious, 
12 times more willing to get into the arena and fight with each other, even fairly. You know, evolution likes fighting. Evolution likes friending. Evolution doesn't like things to be calm, which is what we all want. But oh well, welcome to this particular cosmos. Anyway, one of the practices of this, and I've talked about this many times, is that our job as an integralist is to, first of all, recognize our own sort of natural indigenous worldview, the one that comes easy to us, the one that we were raised in, the one that we've been practicing. And then to notice who's our opponent, and then make it our job to articulate our opponent's point of, of view better than they can, uh, or at least as well. And you do that not because you've practiced and perfected your argument, but because you can inhabit their world and see that in their world, what they believe makes perfect sense. And not only that, not only do you get empathetic in that way, but you also see that they're seeing things that you weren't seeing. And there's a little bit of a crack in your ego boundary and a little bit of a surrender uh, to, you know, a, a worldview that you originally held as the other. And that's a little scary because you're a little less solid for a moment. And you can, you know, you could, there's another membrane, but the, you know, it's like, who are you if you could see what they see? Or who are you if you can't just close the door to that? And evolution offers an answer to that question. And that is that you are a bigger, better you. And you have brought into the cosmos more goodness, truth, and beauty. And you have done your job in that moment uh, of perfecting the universe, which is, I love Steve McIntosh when he, he talks about that's why we're here. We're to participate in the perfection of the universe. So anyway, Muir and Greenberg, the two authors of this essay, do a virtuoso job of that in this uh, particular thing. I don't know if they've ever heard of integral, but they are, as I said, de facto integral. And what they write is, this article provides a breakdown. This is the introduction. Article provides a breakdown of the two perspectives, woke and non-woke left, in order to explore some fundamental questions that these group, groups often disagree about while attempting to quote, steel man both sides. And steel man's kind of a new word I've heard in the last year or so, and I love it. I see it on Twitter and in social media, and I think it's actually very much an integral thing. Steel man is the opposite of straw manning. So steel manning means instead of, you know, caricaturing your opponents, you actually try to shore up your opponents, try to really see what they're saying and, and present their argument in the best possible light. And gosh, that's a terrific practice. So they go on, they say, the US usage of the term woke is thought to have originated in African American communities in the 1930s or 1940s. It came to be used to describe those who understood and sought to raise awareness of racial prejudice and discrimination in the United States. It has since grown to describe a much broader group of people, including many left-leaning white Americans 
who advocate for awareness around social discrimination like sexism, classism, racism, homophobia, and transphobia. They point out that the term woke itself has fallen to what is referred to as the euphemism treadmill. So while it was originally used to describe a certain awareness within particularly the black community, it eventually has started to being used as a critique or even an insult. And as they say, for some, the word has become associated with a negative set of qualities. Specifically, it describes an insincere or misguided approach to raising awareness about social inequality. The implication is that this kind of advocacy, woke advocacy, involves self-serving personal motivations, is ineffective in its approach to improving society, and overlooks other serious harms in society. Those who perceive themselves as opposing this kind of advocacy are described here as anti-woke. And so they're sort of getting their terms uh, uh, clear. And this anti-woke left, uh, I know a lot of people in this category. I mean, they're leftists through and through, but they're really not interested in doing the self-interrogation of their own privilege, you know, or examining their own white fragility. And they wish the whole thing would just go away. And that's, you know, this group of people and that's this differentiation on the left. So Muir and Greenberg, um, they, I love the process they went through in creating this essay. They have the two our authors. I think you get the idea that the authors come from both sides, either side. And at any rate, they consulted 65 Americans to critique it from all across the spectrum. And they came up with 13 categories where you, know, you can identify the woke versus the anti-woke, uh, diversity, microaggressions, cultural appropriation, historical figures, cancel culture, 13 of them. And I wanna just touch in on a couple of them because again, I think they're doing God's work here. They're doing this um, the steel manning, the, 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 the adoption of the worldview, of both worldviews and treating them both with respect. And so this first one is on offensive language. And so here's the social justice, the woke view. Offensive language, including dis discriminatory remarks, threats of violence and jokes that play on reductive stereotypes, often harm others, can traumatize people and can normalize prejudice against discriminated groups. Systematic exposure to offensive remarks and quote microaggressions can further marginalize members of groups that are discriminated against and cause serious negative effects over time. I don't think that's very hard to wrap your head around. I think that's absolutely true and well said. Here's the anti-woke view. If someone is offended by a remark or a joke, it doesn't necessarily mean that the speaker did something wrong the problem might actually lie with the person who feels offended and their emotional responses. Interpreting interactions in terms of microaggressions prevents us from learning how to calmly engage with and refute the arguments of people we disagree with. I think that's true too. And you know, from an integral perspective, we identify not with any particular 
worldview, but with a space within which worldviews arise on their own. And that's just bigger self. And, um, you know, there is an ever-increasing realization that's just emerging in, in human history. It's an ever-increasing sensitivity to the idea of um, who are we casting outside of our circle of moral consideration? Who is the other? And that circle continues to grow. And every time it grows, there's a whole bunch of people that move from being its from being third-person objects to thous, T-H-O-U, to second-person subjects. And that's a big move in terms of moral evolution. And we're seeing that in terms of race and gender and people who are on various mental and emotional spectrums and body size and shape and looks. And the move in green, and this is, this is the beauty of this leading edge of green culture, the woke culture, is that it really does ask us to look in everybody's eyes and see how hard it is to be human. Now, it's not so easy for anybody. And there's a certain melting of boundaries, ego boundaries, when that happens. So that's the one on, on um, offensive language. So second one that I'm going to talk about, there, I'm not going to talk about four or five of them here. Second one I'm going to talk about is on who has the authority to speak about certain issues. And the social justice woke view is people from outside a marginalized group cannot truly understand the lived experience of those within the group and should not be the ones deciding what is best for that group. Attempts by outsiders to explain what they think is best for that group are often naive, inaccurate, or reductive. That's so true except for the part that, say, that says that they're the, the only ones who can decide, and that's the anti-woke view, which says, we should be careful not to overestimate the degree to which people from a marginalized group have similar experiences or opinions. People from that same group often disagree with each other, and we can't think of one member of a group as speaking on behalf of that group. And that's true too. And we've seen that uh, emerge in the last few years with, I think, a very significant evolutionary move around this, this race issue. And that is the arising of the anti-woke African-Americans, like John McWhorter, Coleman Hughes, Chloe Valdery, of course, Thomas Sowell and um, uh, Glenn Lowry. And in the integral community, and I've had him on the show many times, Greg Thomas, who has a lineage that he traces back to Albert Murray and really has um, uh, made me aware of something. I was a good lefty for you know, most of my adult life and I assumed everybody had this you know, sort of default, although we didn't know it as such, anti-racism. Uh, and, uh, and Greg Thomas points out this other lineage in black American thought that he traces back to Albert Murray, which talks about a rooted cosmopolitanism. And I love that. It's, it is just an intrinsically integral concept that we're cosmopolitan, we're everybody. You know, you can't cast me out. I can't even cast myself out. But I'm also rooted in the karmas of my ancestors and, you know, my life experience. 
And I love that. That's, that's, that's de facto integral big time. Okay, next one on diversity, the social justice woke view, having people from a diverse set of backgrounds, including gender, race, ethnicity, class, and sexuality makes institutions more likely to function fairly, takes the needs of everyone into account, helps rectify historical injustices, and helps groups come up with more creative solutions to problems. Again, well said. And I'm, I'm uh, condensing these a bit, but well said. And then the anti-woke view would say, while racial, ethnic, and gender diversity is helpful to correctly represent everyone's views, diversity of thought is just as important. An overemphasis on social justice-oriented philosophy tends to produce a narrow range of views rather than diversity of thought. And that is, you know, if you hold those two together, you're going to be de facto integral. Because what it says is, yes, we want, it does make sense that we want people from all places on, on the, on the, in the field. But green and woke green says, yes, we can be any size, shape, race, color, creed, gender, as long as we have this woke belief. And we all ascribe to this worldview. And that is not the same as, you know, basically what we're talking about is diversity of worldview, which is not easy. It's not easy being in community with people who see the world radically different than you do. And people at different worldviews do see it as radically different. It's, it's the challenge of integral to, you know, expand to include that. And it's, you know, it's a practice. It's not something we just flip a switch. All right. So next, on differences in outcomes, you know, social outcomes, uh, net worth and education and so forth. The commonly occurring social justice view is the fact that some groups have different outcomes in society. For example, earning less money or having less education is a strong indication that systemic discrimination and societal or institutionalized prejudice has prevented members of these groups from having better outcomes in life. And that is, you know, when, when I have any inkling of resenting uh, wokeness, and, you know, I, I have my, all my Jeffs, there's one who doesn't really like it that much. I remind myself that the average black family has uh, one eighth the net worth of the average white family. And that's significant. That's not okay at this stage of our moral development for whatever reason, actually. And the reason that people pick to explain that says a lot about their worldview itself. So here's, here's the, the woke uh, explanation for that. To imp improve outcomes and, and, and their prescription, to improve outcomes for marginalized groups, we should use affirmative action to correct for prejudices in systems. No longer require qualifications that are only accessible to those with privilege. An example might be abandoning standardized tests that may reduce outcome inequality. Changes like these are a starting point to help up for, make up for past discrimination that has held some groups back. 
Okay, so their explanation is the systemic racism. That's why the, the, these you know, disparities in outcome. The anti-woke left says, the fact that some groups have different outcomes in society is not always explained by systemic discrimination and societal prejudice. For instance, a difference in outcomes might sometimes be explained by different interests, attributes, or cultures. It's good for institutions to take into account the hardship that people face when considering their applications. But hardship doesn't always follow from, for example, having membership to a particular racial group. Again, well said on both sides of the street there. And, um, you know, I, I've talked about this before, uh, that you know, I think an integral explanation, you know, we, we, want, we also want to explain these disparities, you know, what causes them. And an integral perspective is always going to include as many perspectives and explanations as possible and see the truth in them. And so there is the truth of what the woke left says, that the power dynamics of history, the oppressor and the oppressed, um, you know, my people were enslaved and redlined and Jim Crowed and, you know, and even when those are illegal, there's still the oppression and the uh, uh, racism in, in our hearts. And, you know, that is an explanation. There's absolutely no doubt about it. The right says that what went wrong for black people who were doing just fine before leftism came in, um, you know, at least in terms of the family and, and upward mobility and so forth, but leftist politics and culture led to the breakdown of the family. And so we had a paternalistic government come in with welfare, men were uh, made uh, to be uh, optional and it led to this you know, breakdown in these inner cities and the housing projects of family. And, and then add to that the culture of the left, this anti-heroic transgressive culture that glorifies cultural pathology, celebrates outlaws, and thank you left, you're the ones who caused this trouble. So there's truth in that, no doubt about it. And then, you know, there's another explanation that we as integralists and cultural development evolutionaries can see is that it was just five generations ago, you know, that the descendant, that the people in Africa were ripped from a tribal stage culture, enslaved, shipped to America and put as slaves in an agrarian culture and, um, you know, it's only five generations ago that that happened. And so the descendants of those people have a longer evolutionary journey. What's remarkable about it is that so many of them have leapfrogged into modernity, post-modernity, and integral. And of course, I always use Barack Obama as my sterling example of the integral. But what we're seeing is that African-Americans, the descendants of these slaves are stretched more along the spiral than maybe anybody on the planet, actually. And that's just something we want to take into account. And we also want to see that there are black Americans who aren't necessarily, who aren't, you know, the Nigerians, the immigrants from the Caribbean are thriving in America. 
these communities of uh, non-indigenous blacks. So all of that gets to be true. All of that gets to be online as we, um, you know, raise our consciousness about all this. Okay, two more. Next on cultural appropriation. So this is the social justice woke point of view. And they write, appropriating clothing, behaviors or customs of a marginalized group can be harmful for several reasons, including one, it allows already privileged groups to benefit financially and socially off the labor, culture and ideas of the originators of those ideas without the benefit to those creators. And two, it fails to take into account the significance that some outfits or practices have in their original cultures, trivializing their original meaning and causing harm to marginalized groups. Absolutely, no doubt about it. You don't wanna do that. <laughs> okay. So then we have the non-woke. Most instances of people dressing or acting in a way that have been associated with a marginalized group are just people appreciating that particular culture, partaking in it. And we should not see that as inherently negative. We are all better off if we adopt those practices and customs that we find beneficial. And certainly that is the story of humanity. Uh, <laughs> you know, the endless appropriation of cultures uh, in history. Uh, but with this sensitivity that you can't just take something and trivialize it and profit off of it. And both of those things get to be true. Okay, and then lastly, on historical figures, and this is a big flashpoint, the woke social justice left. Given that many people we celebrate today, for example, teaching young children about Oh, given that many people that we celebrate today did terrible things, for example, teaching young children about them or maintaining monuments in their honor, the appropriate response is to stop commemorating these individuals, for example, by removing their statues and renaming buildings. Continuing to make these individuals visible in society, even if we are not explicitly celebrating all of their actions, is harmful to those people whose ancestors were hurt by their actions. And uh, I'm just gonna put the anti-woke piece down and we could talk about it just a bit. So the anti-woke left says, it's not fair to judge historical figures by our own moral standards. Their behavior, while we may know it to be highly immoral, may have been entirely ordinary for their society at the time. We should teach both the good and the bad about historical figures that have had an important role in society. We should commend them for their grand achievements while not minimizing or ignoring their many flaws, which might mean continuing to maintain monuments erected in their honor. And boy, if there was ever a job for integral theory, for teasing out lines and levels of development, that people can have moral development at one level, intellectual development at another, uh, uh, emotional development, um, social, uh, even physical in the sense of subtle bodies and so forth, that we have a cosmic address that includes, you know, we're not just at one place at any given time. And, and, and of course, the, um, you know, 
it's really a conundrum of American history. This is the crux of it. Is Thomas Jefferson and, and um, George Washington had slaves. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was a racist by any contemporary standards. And I don't know about Theodore Roosevelt, probably was, certainly with the Indians. And they're all on Mount Rushmore. And so, you know, telling both of these stories, and this is where the right comes in too, um, that there's a story of gratitude, of patriotism, of, you know, the, 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 the blood of the ancestors, of all of that good stuff that needs to be told. And then there's also the grievance story of America that, uh, you know, the oppressor story of America. And both of those stories, neither one of them, and we can see this being fought out in, you know, the election in Virginia, what's being taught in schools, that these two stories, they're in the arena right now. And the fighting ain't always fair, but it is fruitful. And as integralists, we really do want to open to both of these stories because, you know, again, welcome to history and the uneven development of human beings. All right. Well, it's uh, 1.33 here in Mountain Time, so I think I'll close it up there. Again, thanks to Integral Life for hosting me. Check out all my stuff at dailyevolver.com and Follow me on Twitter and subscribe to YouTube, if you would. I appreciate that. And again, check out this article and check out the uh, whole website. The website, again, is clearerthinking.org. I'll put it in the write-up. And the article is Understanding the Divide Between Social Justice Advocates and the Left-Leaning Anti-Woke community written by Holly Muir and Spencer Greenberg. And thank you to both of you for writing such a great integral article. Okay, folks, take care and we'll see you um, again. I'm doing this live on the first and third Wednesdays of the month. Okay. Thanks, folks. <laughs>